rejoice, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. It trembles at his voice, it trembles at his voice. Rebecca and Julie, appreciate you leading us in worship. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 6. Jesus was teaching His disciples near the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus' popularity was probably at its height, and a great multitude was gathering near Him. And if you read there at the beginning of chapter 6, He asked Philip to go buy bread or where he could buy bread to give these people something to eat. And Philip said, listen, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't feed all these people. And uh, Andrew, meanwhile, you know, he'd been snooping around and he discovered a young man who, 
who uh, had five barley loaves and two fish. And so Jesus had everybody sit down. Can you imagine feeding 5,000 people with that little bit of food? But that's what Jesus did. There were 500 men and even more women and children. And so Jesus gave thanks and then he began to distribute the food to those who were seated. And when the people had as much as they wanted to eat, then Jesus had them gather up the leftovers. And according to the scriptures, there were 12 baskets left over, or fragments. And it's amazing how the people responded to that miracle. They must have been Baptist. Because they, they responded like this. You know, when God uses someone to perform a valuable ministry around us, think about it, what do we do? We want to immediately elect them to a position, don't we? I mean, if they do a ministry among us and it's a great thing, let's elect them. And uh, let's have them keep on doing it. Keep on performing that again and again and again. And, uh, I mean, after seeing Jesus feed 5,000 people, the multitude said, hey, let's take him by force and make him our king. He can provide for us over and over again. And according to the text there, you see that Jesus had no part of that. He knew what his mission was. He was not going to be deterred. So he withdrew and went to the mountain to get alone and to pray. So why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, tonight we just invite you to be our teacher. Uh, we just pray you would open up our hearts to your word and that we would grow. We'd grow closer to you. Uh, we'd grow closer to one another. We'd just become more of what you want us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, Jesus knew what his mission was, and so he withdrew to the mountain, and the disciples it says in this text, we're crossing uh, the Sea of Galilee and, and um, towards Capernaum. And Jesus came to them walking on the water. And so to get to where we're going to study tonight, the next morning when the multitude saw that Jesus and the disciples were not there, they got in their boats and they went to Capernaum to find Jesus. And so the question tonight is, why are you here? Why are you here tonight in worship? Hopefully you've come tonight to find Jesus Christ. Maybe in days gone by or years gone by, you have seen him work a miracle in your life or in the life of somebody else or a friend. Or maybe tonight you're seeking him because you just want to spend some time alone with him, some time worshiping him. Something just changed? <laughs> some time fellowshipping with him. Maybe, though, tonight, you've only heard about Jesus. You've had friends who've given you testimonies of how he's worked in their life, or, or you've heard testimonies about how they came to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, and, and you've just heard about him. And so maybe tonight, you've come to actually worship because you're hoping to meet him. You're hoping to meet Jesus personally. Well, let's look at this text, uh, starting with uh, verse 25 of chapter, of chapter 6. It says, when they, the crowd, found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, 
because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Then they asked Him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. And, and so they asked Him, well, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, I just want you to be honest with me tonight. I want you to imagine that uh, you heard that there was a man this afternoon over in Fullwood Park. And the rumor got out that this man over at Fullwood Park this afternoon fed over 5,000 people that were gathered there. And he fed them with only five loaves and two fish. If you heard that that happened over in Fullwood Park today, what would you honestly think? I know what I think. What's his trick? That's what I would think. What is his trick? Where, you know, he was probably on a stage or something like that and where was that trap door that, you know, when everybody wasn't looking that the food popped up through the bottom? Or was he wearing like a big old heavy coat or something and his entourage with him had on a heavy coat and while, they, while he said, let's bow our heads to pray, everybody pulled out the food that was in their coats or something? Or, you know, was there a drop from, you know, like a plane that flew over and, and airdropped this? I'd want to know what was... The trick, if I just heard that that had happened. But I tell you what, if I was actually in Fullwood Park this afternoon and I saw a man take in his own hands five loaves and two fish and I saw him just say a prayer and then begin to break it in front of my eyes, and then literally multiply that feeding 5,000 people, I'd say that was a miracle of God, wouldn't you? And matter of fact, if, if I went seeking that person the next day to talk with them, I doubt I would begin the conversation with, Teacher, when did you get here? I don't think that would be the first question that would I'd ask. But see, Jesus, according to this text, saw right into the hearts of these men. These men were not seeking Jesus. They were actually seeking a man 
who could whip up for them a Big Mac or an Egg McMuffin or something. They were looking for somebody to fill their bellies with more food. They were looking for somebody to keep their stomachs full. And they sought Jesus to have their physical needs met. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes them. He rebukes them. He tells them, don't labor, don't strive, don't pursue with all of you your might food that perishes. Food that only exists for a little while. Don't follow hard after me just to get your stomachs full. He says, but instead work for food which endures to eternal life, which I will give to you. I'll give it to you. Now we know in this text, Jesus is not telling us not to work. He's not telling us not to provide for our families. But he's reminding us that our consuming passion, our sincere desire, our major work should be for the food that endures. Our major work should be in pursuit of eternal life. Wouldn't it be horrible, an incredible mistake to spend your whole life laboring, working, expending all your energy and then at the point of reality, at the point of death, discover that spiritually you're malnourished, you're destitute, that you have nothing really of any value. See, not only were these men looking with wrong motives to fill their stomachs, but they were also looking It's amazing here. They were looking for someone to tell them how to do miraculous works too. When they saw this miracle of Jesus, they thought, man, if he can do that, maybe he could teach me how to do it. Do you get the impression that they're kind of missing the point? That they're missing the point? Their focus was on the external. The focus was on the sensational work of God. They were concerned with what their own egos would be because they wanted to be able to show that they had power. They wanted Jesus to tell them how to do this work so then they could carry out their own agenda. And Jesus told them what? The work of God is this. What? Look, the work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in the one He is sent. Jesus told them the work of God is this, believe in me. You want to do the works of God? Believe in me. I can imagine they were extremely disappointed. (laughs) They were hoping to get a clinic on how to do a miracle. And Jesus is attempting to show them where their focus must be. Not on the external, not on the sensational works of God, but on the deeply personal and the intimate works of God in our hearts and lives. Well, these guys were seeking Jesus with the wrong motives. They were seeking to have their stomachs filled. They wanted power. They wanted Jesus to even prove himself. And I just can't believe Jesus didn't laugh at them. He must have had tremendous restraint. I mean, if he had just done a miracle feeding 5,000 people, 
And now they ask for another miracle. They refer to Moses that he was the one who provided the manna in the wilderness for 40 years. And he certainly was the prophet of God. And they say, how about you, Jesus? What sign are you going to perform? And Jesus sets them straight. He says, listen, the manna didn't come from Moses. It came from God the Father. And not only is he the source of that temporary manna, he is the source of the bread of life, the true bread out of heaven, the real McCoy, if you would. These men asked Jesus to prove himself, and he told them about the bread of God. What are we seeking this morning? What are we seeking? Are we seeking Jesus with the right motives or with the wrong motives? The second thing I want us to consider tonight as we study this text is this, is that Jesus Christ is the only one who can meet the essential needs of our lives. We got anybody here tonight, you're 13 years old. Anybody here, 13? I'm looking over here. I don't see anybody over here that's 13. Anybody over here, 13 years old? You're 13 years old? Good, good. Well, about 100 years ago, I was 13 years old. And I grew up in a church similar, not identical, here in Albany, Georgia. First Baptist Albany. And one day, I was taking a snooze in Sunday school. Y'all never snooze in Sunday school, do you? Good, you're alert, good. I was in Sunday school, and my teacher was Mr. J.K. Prince. Mr. Prince, over in Albany, ran a construction outfit. He's gone to heaven. But I'll never forget, we were sitting in class, the guy, it was a boys' class, and he said, now boys, I want to ask you a question. Now this would have been, what, 1972 or something like that. He said, boys, why do you reckon they're building that Interstate 75? Of course, we sat there kind of like knots on a log going, why are they building that Interstate 75, you know? Not coming through Albany, what do we care, you know? Uh, he said, uh, you know why they're building that Interstate 75? And we're like dumb as an ox, and we go, no, why, sir? He said, so everybody can get to Florida. That's why they're building it. Okay, after that revelation, we said, well, well, good. He said, do you know why everybody wants to get to Florida? And we're sitting there again. You know, we're 13. We're not exactly sure. Why does everybody want to get to Florida? He says, you know why? Because everybody wants to get down there to Disney World. And uh, so then he asked us another question. He said, now, why do you reckon everybody wants to get down to Disney World? And we're sitting there like, well, I guess because it's fun, you know, I don't know. We didn't know what, you know, probably the answer was Jesus, but we, you know, it was in Sunday school, we weren't sure what to say. We were sitting there. And Mr. Prince said, because they want to get to Disney World because they want to have fun. He says, they think they're going to have fun down there in Florida. They're going to find joy down there in Florida. He said, you know what, boys? They're not going to find it in Florida. He said, there's only one place that people in America are going to find joy. He said, it's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
This guy had to be in his 70s at that time. I thought he was near death. You know what I mean? When you're 13 and somebody's in their 70s teaching your Sunday school class. But it's true. People, the, these guys right here, they thought, man, hey, if we, if we could get Jesus as our meal ticket, we'll be happy. Right? These guys thought, well, wait a minute. If he just teaches us how to do miracles, we'll be happy. They didn't even realize they had the opportunity to have their sins forgiven in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was just sailing over their heads. Jesus Christ is the only one who can meet the essential needs of our life. That's why Jesus says in this text, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I am what you need to live. I'm the nourishment for all men, for you as an individual. I'm what you need. I'm what you really need. And what is interesting here, I would never say this. I don't think any of us as parents would ever say this to our kids because what we as parents realize, we're going to provide for our children what they need. Right? You know, we're going to provide an education for them. We're going to provide food for them. We're not going to tell our kids they need me. Because hopefully what we realize is what do they need? They need a relationship with who? Jesus Christ. We're going to love and support them. But Jesus said, what you really need is me. And he says, if you'll come to me, if you'll come to me, look at what he says here. If you'll come to me, he who comes to me, you'll never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And Jesus wasn't going to airmail or, or you know, UPS food to them or water to them. He was saying, if you come to me and you live in a relationship with me, your deepest needs will be satisfied. What you really hunger for, what you really thirst for, will be satisfied. That's what he's saying. He's trying to make it as clear as possible to these that are following him with the wrong motives. We must come to him. And some of us have a hard time with that because in all honesty, we're too busy seeking our own fulfillment. He says, come to me, come to me. He says, not only come, but believe in me. We not, must not only turn from ourselves, in our self-seeking, we've got to turn to Him, come to Him, place our trust, our confidence, our hope in Him. Jesus says He came to give us eternal life. In other passages, He says He came to give us abundant life. He dealt with the basic issue in our life. He died on the cross to provide forgiveness of sin. And then he makes a promise here that is unbelievable. He says, He who comes to me shall positively not become hungry. And he who places his trust in me shall positively never thirst. He not only promises 
to satisfy our deepest hunger and thirst, he promises to do it continually. I don't know about you, but I think it was third grade or something. I can remember Six Flags opened in Georgia. And man, we thought that was the greatest thing in the world. I mean, we went up there and spent the whole day and just had a blast. And you know, our church began to go up there. Y'all did the same thing, right? Man, it was a blast. But you know, after about the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth, seventh time, I mean, I've never heard Wayne Rowe come into staff meeting and say, you know what? Me and Susan are going to Six Flags. I mean, I've never heard any of y'all. I've never heard any of you come in on a Sunday morning and you go, guess where we went this weekend? What? We went to Six Flags. Well, why? Y'all really don't know, do you? <laughs> why? Well, you all know. It's so obvious, right? It's the law of diminishing returns, right? I mean, what thrilled you at six or seven or eight years old, now it's like, okay, you know, you go do the log flume, it just isn't as exciting as it used to be, you know? And if you get on that roller coaster, what's going to happen to people our age, 50 and above? Your back is going to be killing you, okay? You know, you're like, goodness, get me off of this thing, you know? That's what's so amazing about Jesus' promise. He's not like Six Flags saying, oh, it'll be great when you're seven or eight years old, but then the luster's going to fade. No, he's saying, listen, he who comes to me is never going to hunger. He who comes to me is never going to thirst. It's an incredible, audacious promise that Jesus is making. He's saying, whatever you need, I'll provide it. Whatever you hunger and thirst for, you will find in a relationship with me. And the final thing in this text that we'll look at tonight is verses 37 through 40. And in verses 37 through 40, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, listen to that, whoever comes to me, I will never, what? Drive away. If you is simply and humbly, or even fearfully, whatever. If you come to Jesus, he's not going to take a stick and drive you away. It says, all the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And notice what it says. Does He say, and it'll just happen that you'll be raised on the last day? No, look at what it says. And I will raise Him up at the last day. See, Jesus' offer is open to you. He said the one who comes to him, he's not going to cast him out. Jesus is inviting us to come to him. And those who will just come to him as simply as they can, 
Maybe you'll understand him perfectly, but if you'll come to him, you will have eternal life. And Jesus Christ himself is going to raise you up on the last day. And this invitation is wide open. Now, Nancy and I had an interesting experience when we went to Florida years ago. Because have you ever gone to Florida and you have an opportunity to buy a condo down there? If you ever have that opportunity, please turn the other way and go, because you're about to waste four good hours of your time. (laughs) Well, Nancy and I, we're going to take advantage of this. But let me tell you what, what the rules were before you could even get in there. Listen to this rule. The first, this invitation to buy the condo, you had to be 25 years of age or older. Or you couldn't even go into the meeting. Okay? Now you got to remember this was several years ago. The second rule, first you got to be 25. The second rule is this. You have to have a combined income of at least $25,000 a year. I know y'all are going, that's crazy now. I'm sure it's not that anymore. But that's what it was then. You had to have a combined income, you and your wife, of at least $25,000 a year to get into the meeting. And then the third thing, the third thing you had to have to get in that meeting was you must have proof of identification. You had to have your ID with you just to get into the meeting to have the opportunity to hear about buying the condominium. Now, I just want to tell you something tonight. If you sense that the Spirit of God is calling you to come to Jesus Christ. And if that happens tonight or in weeks in the future, when you sense the Spirit of God is calling you and you sense He's saying, trust me as your Lord and Savior, there are not rules that you have to go through. You don't have to be 25 years of age. You don't have to have $25,000. You don't have to have ID. You don't have to have any of these things to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. But see, the men that Jesus was speaking to on that day couldn't hear him. They just wanted Jesus to meet their physical needs. They didn't hear him. But see, you can. I want to invite you to pray to him, to ask him to forgive your sins, to ask him to come into your life, to yield your life to him. And I wonder tonight, most of us here that are gathered are Christians, so if you're already a Christian, are you actually daily looking to Jesus Christ to be your bread of life? Are you actually looking to Him daily to satisfy your needs? Now, one of the most popular descriptions of evangelism has been the one you've heard. It's called, evangelism is one beggar telling another what? Beggar, where to find what? Bread or food, right? Y'all have heard that before. Now my question is this. Would you honestly believe someone who walked up to you on the street and they said, listen, I have found a stash of food. 
It is abundant. And man, it's more than you could ever eat. And this person is as skinny as a rail. Would you believe them? If they were emaciated, they were, that doesn't look like they had eaten anything. I wouldn't believe them. Now, if they walked up to me and they're going, oh, my stomach's hurting. I just found all this food. I ate all that pizza at one time. And, uh, you know, I, I'd believe them. So if, what about us as believers? If we're saying Jesus is the bread of life, He's the one that will satisfy us. But if that's not reality in our daily life, if that's not what we're experiencing, that time alone with Him and that time daily with Him throughout the day, if that's not the truth, what are people going to see in our daily life? They're going to see the truth. So will people believe us when we tell them about Jesus, the bread of life? If we're not feasting on Him, if we're not feasting with Him, if we're not sincerely being satisfied through our relationship with Him. Seek Jesus. Seek Him tonight as the bread of life. Seek Him for eternal life. There are no rules that you have to qualify for. You just have to trust that He died for you. And as a believer, you know that's true. So seek Him tonight, seek Him in the morning, seek Him all day tomorrow as your joy, as your satisfaction in life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You for who You are and how You long to overcome every misconception that we have, every misunderstanding. Father, you want to overcome every sin and, and temptation that we have. It, you want to overcome everything that would keep us from you. So, Father, help us now to listen to you and just respond to you and to come to you, the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close our service tonight, Brother Wayne's going to be here at the front. We're going to stand and sing our hymn of invitation, number 600, More About Jesus. And if God has been speaking to your heart, and you sense He's wanting you to make a public decision, this will be your opportunity. So let's.